Hi everyone, Matt here. The current book we're reading is Peter Pan and we started it in episode 15. So if you haven't been listening to the podcast so far, I suggest going back to episode 15 so that you know what's going on. If you're brand new to the podcast, I'd say go back to episode two where we read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and you can binge all the way from there. Thanks. Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. My name's David Cox. And my name is Josh Matheson. And this week we are looking at chapter eight of Peter Pan, which is The Mermaid's Lagoon, if I remember correctly. Whoop, whoop. The Mermaid's Lagoon. See, someone actually bothered to check what the title from last <laughs> week was before Hello. they started recording. If you'd have asked me... What it was, I probably wouldn't have got it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, in this game of guest of the week before's chapter, though, you are beating me because you remembered the bunker and you remembered the flight, and I didn't True. remember any of those. But you remembered who remembered out of the two of you, which I <laughs> so I'm the ultimate rememberer. I, I didn't remember. I didn't remember that I remembered. If that makes sense. So this chapter, I'm pretty sure I know what happens in this one because. This seems to be very much in line with the Disney film. I remember there being a lagoon. And that re- relies on me uh, having watched the film, you know, in the, at some point in the last 15 to 20 years. Which I don't think I have. <laughs> the thing that's confused is I know, I know Hook better. And of course, it's not, it's not the same. No, like, this isn't in Hook, this scene. No. This is definitely Hook, in the Disney film. Hook's a sequel. Yeah. Yes. Um, unless they have like a coloured food fight. Uh, there's... I'm, I no. don't know. I, I believe this is a, um, a tale of adventure where Peter Pan tries to save a certain little Native American girl. Can we just? Can we just also? Because it was, I, I, it's the one. It's my one sort of resounding thing from last week that this might not be the best story that J. M. Barry could have told us, but the one he chose. To get us, to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just bear that in mind. If there's any elements of this story that you're disappointed by, yeah. He literally admitted that this wasn't the best of the tales he could exactly. It's true. Yeah. And that he wishes one of the others had won the coin toss, which yeah. he did in his study <laughs> while he was writing yeah. this uh, novel. Should I do it again? It's like, no. What do you mean? You're, you're in charge. I don't care. Just tell me a story. <laughs> Get on well, with it, Well, last week, we just got a snapshot as to how life is continuing at the moment in Neverland. We don't know how long uh, Wendy, John and Michael have been there for. He doesn't seem to be that interested in telling us, but they they seem to have gotten into some kind of daily routine now where they're going out on adventures. Wendy is stuck stirring imaginary soup every day because she's a woman and apparently the kitchen is her place. And J.M. Barry kind of told us about the kids slightly forgetting their life before, forgetting their parents, Wendy giving them exams to check if they remember. And then he just gave us a lowdown on a few of the adventures that these kids have been having over the last however many days they've been here and has just picked one and he's going to tell us about that. Now, bear in mind when you listen to this chapter that other contestants for this were a fight between the Native Americans and the Lost Boys where they swap sides. The Captain Hook chocolate cake caper where Wendy kept running away with the cake 
Which was set up as literally like it could be the narrative of this the book. Main, the main idea of the book, yeah. And then it's just been thrown, it's been know, thrown by the, the wayside. Wind. It's been yeah. thrown to the wayside and Captain Hook has tripped over it, apparently. <laughs> ima- imagine, like, imagine if Jane Barry had done the first ever Choose Your Adventure book. Because you know you sometimes have those yes. ones. I always thought they were amazing. Goosebumps used to do a choose your I just, I just thought I was the, the creator of a universe. Like I thought no one else yeah. has gone through this, you know, path. We could the have had I that. have. Mm. Mind you, how long would the podcast take if we had to like record five or six different <laughs> yeah. like, strata? <laughs> right, so Mermaid so, Lagoon. Yeah. The story that won the coin toss. Correct. I say I'm pretty sure I know what's coming, but let's see if what I think is coming is coming. Great. So we dive in. I have no idea is coming, is coming, coming. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 8. The Mermaid's Lagoon. If you shut your eyes, and you are a lucky one, you may see at times a shapeless pool of lovely pale colours suspended in the darkness. Then, if you squeeze your eyes tighter, the pool begins to take shape and the colours become so vivid that with another squeeze they must go on fire. But just before they go on fire, you see the lagoon. I've just tried that and all I'm seeing is spots. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's, let's all try it, which is great, which is like, great uh, fodder for a podcast. And you know yeah. those like eye eyes. worms or whatever, you know those oh, little, yeah. eye, you know, little fluffy oh, bits you can see going across? Yeah, squiggly. <laughs> On the corner but when you try eye. and look at it, it keeps throwing away. <laughs> <laughs> Family guy. I got nothing. I got nothing today. Yeah, no. I I just open my eyes and all I can see is just white spots. <laughs> Apparently, that's the mermaid's lagoon, though. So there we go. Keep going. I know what it looks like now. Who knew? There we go. This is the nearest you ever get to it on the mainland. Just one heavenly moment. If there could be two moments, you might see the surf and hear the mermaid singing. The children often spent long summer days on this lagoon, swimming or floating most of the time, playing the mermaid games in the water and so forth. You must not think from this that the mermaids were on friendly terms with them. On the contrary, it was among Wendy's lasting regrets that all the time she was on the island, she never had a civil word from one of them. (laughs) Wendy is one of those girls that girls love to hate. Yeah. (laughs) Everywhere she goes... Every single girl just like don't like her. I'm imagining like the the mermaids are like the plastics in Mean Girls. Yeah, <laughs> Ew. definitely. <laughs> you can't sit with us. <laughs> On Wednesdays we wear fins. <laughs> hey. <laughs> when she stole softly to the edge of the lagoon, she might see them by the score, especially on Maruna's Rock, where they so loved to bask combing out their hair in a lazy way that quite irritated her. Or she might even swim on tiptoe, as it were, to within a yard of them. But then they saw her and dived, probably splashing her with their tails, not by accident, but intentionally. Bitches. (laughs) Cut that out! Cut that out! It's expletive. No, cut it out. (laughs) I said keep it in. (laughs) (laughs) to get a little beep. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like well du- we, had, we had we had orgy a couple. A of duck weeks quack. Ago. Yeah, but <laughs> orgy's in the book. If it's a swear word, yeah, it's in the book. It's fine. Okay, yeah, it's fine. true. They treated all the boys in the same way, except of course Peter, who chatted with them on Maruna's rock by the hour and sat on their tails when they got cheeky. 
he gave Wendy one of their combs. The most haunting time at which to see them is at the turn of the moon, when they utter strange wailing cries. But the lagoon is dangerous for mortals then, and until the evening of which we have now to tell, Wendy had never seen the lagoon by moonlight, less from fear, for of course Peter would have accompanied her, than because she had strict rules about everyone being in bed by seven. Seven? <laughs> What's the point? That's like, they didn't have to seven. go to work. We're in a, in a world where there are no adults, and yeah. she's making everyone go to bed by seven. Horrendous. Buzzkill, man. Yeah. Still daylight. She was often at the lagoon, however, on sunny days after rain, when the mermaids came up in extraordinary numbers to play with their bubbles. <laughs> Yay! I don't know what that They're very like. simple folk. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. Like the mystical creatures, but they're like, ooh. Bubbles. <laughs> I love bubbles. <laughs> We're the room. My bubbles. My bubbles. <laughs> The bubbles of many colours made in rainbow water they treat as balls, hitting them gaily from one to another with their tails and trying to keep them in the rainbow till they burst. The goals are at each end of the rainbow and the keepers only are allowed to use their hands. Sometimes a dozen of these games will be going on in the lagoon at a time and it is quite a pretty sight. But the moment the children tried to join in, they had to play by themselves for the mermaids immediately disappeared. Nevertheless, we have proof that they secretly watched the interlopers and were not above taking an idea from them, for John introduced a new way of hitting the bubble, with the head instead of the hand, and the mermaids adopted it. This is the one mark that John has left on the Neverland. <laughs> what an achievement. Yeah. He's given them a header. <laughs> <laughs> The Lost Boys versus the Pirates. Mermaids United. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must also have been rather pretty to see the children resting on a rock for half an hour after a midday meal. Wendy insisted on their doing this, and it had to be a real rest, even though the meal was make-believe. So they lay there in the sun, and their bodies glistened in it while she sat beside them and looked important. It was one such day, and they were all on Maruna's rock. The rock was not much larger than their great bed, but of course they knew how not to take up much room. And they were dozing, or at least lying with their eyes shut, and pinching occasionally when they thought Wendy was not looking. She was very busy, stitching. While she stitched, a change came to the lagoon. Little shivers ran over it, and the sun went away and shadows stole across the water, turning it cold. Wendy could no longer see to thread her needle, and when she looked up, the lagoon, that had always hitherto been such a laughing place, seemed formidable and unfriendly. It was not, she knew, that night had come, but something as dark as night had come. No, worse than that. It had not come, but it had sent that shiver through the sea to say that it was coming. What was it? There crowded upon her all the stories she had been told of Maruna's Rock, so-called because evil captains put sailors on it and leave them there to drown. They drown when the tide rises, for then it is submerged. Of course, she should have roused the children at once, not merely because of the unknown that was stalking toward them, 
but because it was no longer good for them to sleep on a rock grown chilly. But she was a young mother, and she did not know this. She thought you must simply stick to your rule for half an hour after your midday meal. So, though fear was upon her, and she longed to hear male voices, she would not waken them. Even when she heard the sound of muffled oars, though her heart was in her mouth, she did not waken them. So the pirates are coming. It could be the pirates. I mean, I think it's the pirates. Sounds like it's... Uh, a muffled oar. What does that sound like? Oh, it's like that. It's that lovely sound. Is it like when it's like a really flat water, and you just like yeah. it's just like that little ploppy sound. It's like one of my favourite noises. Eerie ploppy. Yeah. Eerie ploppy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like like some someone's pseudonym. Like it sounds like an author. <laughs> eerie ploppy. The Quiet Lagoon by Eerie Ploppy. <laughs> she stood over them to let them have their sleep out. Was it not brave of Wendy? It was well for those boys that there was among them one who could sniff danger even in his sleep. Peter sprang erect, as wide awake as once as a dog. I'm sorry, I can't get over Peter sprang erect. <laughs> Nothing to see here. I don't see why we would Nothing. make comment. Yeah, I, I was, I was in inwardly uh, sniggering. It. Like, not that. It's not that sort of podcast. Peter sprang erect, as wide awake at once as a dog. And with one warning cry, he roused the others. He stood motionless, one hand to his ear. Pirates! he cried. The others came closer to him. A strange smile was playing about his face, and Wendy saw it and shuddered. While that smile was on his face, no one dared address him. All they could do was to stand ready to obey. The order came sharp and incisive. Dive! There was a gleam of legs and instantly the lagoon seemed deserted. Maroona's rock stood alone in the forbidding waters as if it were itself marooned. The boat drew nearer. It was the pirate dinghy with three figures in her, Smee and Starkey, and the third captive, no other than Tiger Lily. Her hands and ankles were tied and she knew what was to be her fate. She was to be left on the rock to perish, an end to one of her race more terrible than death by fire or torture, for it is not written in the book of the tribe that there is no path through water to the happy hunting ground. Yet her face was impassive. She was the daughter of a chief. She must die as a chief's daughter. It is enough. They had caught her boarding the pirate ship with a knife in her mouth. No watch was kept on the ship, it being Hook's boast that the wind of his name guarded the ship for a mile around. Now her fate would help to guard it also. One more whale would go the round in that wind by night. I'm guessing that was a whale as in W-A-I-L, not a whale as in a giant mammal yeah it wasn't a, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. a whale uh, oh, a whale as opposed Bumble to a whale it's a whale <laughs> whale <laughs> in the gloom that they brought with them the two pirates did not see the rock till they crashed into it laugh you lobber cried an Irish voice that was sneeze <laughs> here's the rock now then, what you have to do is to hoist the redskin onto it and leave her here to drown. 
It was the work of one brutal moment to land the beautiful girl on the rock. She was too proud to offer a vain resistance. Quite near the rock, but out of sight, two heads were bobbing up and down, Peter's and Wendy's. Wendy was crying, for it was the first tragedy she had seen. Peter had seen many tragedies, but had forgotten them all. He was less sorry than Wendy for Tiger Lily. It was two against one that angered him, and he meant to save her. An easy way would have been to wait until the pirates had gone, but it was... But he was never one to choose the easy way. There was almost nothing he could not do, and he now imitated the voice of Hook. So, so technically, this is Peter imitating Hook. So, is he very good at it? That's what I need to know. Well, I mean, I have a feeling, judging from what I know in the film, that he does actually manage to convince them that it is Hook speaking. He's so pretty I think good he at is, the impression. I think he is good at it. But okay, this is go. one of these actor challenges. It's when you see actors in TV where they're having to play. It's an actor playing a character who's an actor playing a character. Do you know what I mean? Or... <laughs> yeah. in, in the interest of doing an impression of someone doing an impression, can you try and imitate Mel Gibson's Braveheart? So it's like a 70% good <laughs> Scottish accent. It's not quite there, but it's... Uh, okay, oh, not... you're trying to get him to blend it a bit more to kind of make it where like every now and then Peter <laughs> sneaks through by mistake. Yeah, essentially. All right. I mean, I can try. I don't know how much he says. You can try. You can try. <laughs> there was almost nothing that he could not do. And now he imitated the voice of Hook. Ahoy there, you lobbers, he called. It was a marvellous imitation. See, that was good. I heard the little Peter twang in there as well. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think that just sounded like a, like a bad... Hook? Okay, great. Well, no, no, I, no, because I... it kind of sounded convincing enough, but you could tell it was slightly flawed. Yeah. You, hopefully you won't have to do this for that long, unless like mm. unless the Lost Boys put on a play. <laughs> like a, a or Peter like skins Hook and assumes his identity. Yeah, just wears it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Hook. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> that was Is that you from the Caribbean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've just moved. I also love the fake Hook hand. <laughs> A Hook puppet show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've already got David... Dick fingers or whatever it's called. Dick <laughs> like David Copperfield. Captain Cox. <laughs> That's his name. David Dick That's who fingers. I meant. Is that like David Dickinson who did, used to do um, Captain Cox? Yeah. Just like that. And now we'll do David some kind Dick of. Fingers. <laughs> and now you, we can add to that like <laughs> David does punch and Judy with hook. <laughs> <laughs> The captain, said the pirates, staring at each other in surprise. He must be swimming out to us, Starkey said, when they had looked for him in vain. Sorry, could we just think about the logic of that? Swimming. Because that's what your captain's going to do. He's going to swim to you. You took the boat, so instead of coming out, I mean, this is already flawed. We're putting the redskin on the rock, Smee called out. Set her free, came the astonishing answer. Free? Yes, cut her bonds and let her go. 
But Captain, at once, dear here, cried Peter, or I'll plunge my hook in you. This is queer, Smee gasped. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> Better do what the captain orders, said Starkey nervously. Aye, aye, Smee said, and he cut Tiger Liddy's cords. At once, like an eel, she slid between Starkey's legs into the water. Of course, Wendy was very elated over Peter's cleverness, but she knew that he would be elated also and very likely crow and thus betray himself, so at once her hand went over to cover his mouth. But it was stayed even in the act, for Portahoy rang over the lagoon in Hook's voice, and this time it was not Peter who had spoken. To the real, the real guys. The captain who is actually having a nice little swim in the lagoon, apparently. Appar- apparently, yes. Yeah. Sort of Victorian swimming costume. Yes. <laughs> the red and white stripy yeah. bathing oh, suit. Oh, yeah, I think it, like, because he'd have the curly moustache and he'd look great. Peter may have been about to crow, but his face puckered in a whistle of surprise instead. high came the voice again. Now Wendy understood. The real hook was also in the water. He was swimming to the boat, and as his men showed a light to guide him, he had soon reached them. In the light of the lantern, Wendy saw his hook grip the boat's side. She saw his evil, swarthy face as he rose dripping from the water, and quaking, she would have liked to swim away, but Peter would not budge. Why is Hook swimming? I don't know what he's, he's the talking. captain. Yeah. He's doing a sponsored swimathon for the month. He was tingling with life, but also top heavy with conceit. Am I not a wonder? Oh, I am a wonder, he whispered to her. And though she thought so also, she was really glad for the sake of his reputation that no one heard him except herself. He signed to her to listen. The two pirates were very curious to know what had brought their captain to them, but he sat with his head on his hook in a position of profound melancholy. Captain, it's all well, they asked timidly, but he answered with a hollow moan. He sighs, said Smee. He sighs again, said Starkey, and yet a third time he sighs said Smee. Then at last he spoke passionately. The game's up, he cried. Those boys have found a mother. Affrighted though she was, Wendy swelled with pride. Oh, evil day, cried Starkey. What's a mother? asked the ignorant Smee. Wendy was so shocked that she exclaimed. He doesn't know. And always after this, she felt as though if you could pet a pirate, Smee would be her one. <laughs> I'm going to pet a pirate or two. Pet a pirate? I'm going to pet a pirate or two. Brand new pet a pirate from Zab Creation. <laughs> Peter pulled her beneath the water, for Hook had started up, crying. What was that? I heard nothing, said Starkey, raising the lantern over the waters, and as the pirates looked, they saw a strange sight. It was the nest I have told you of, floating on the lagoon, and the never bird was sitting on it. 
I don't remember this nest. The never bird was this bird that Peter protects or tells people to leave alone. He seems to have this weird kind of connection with it or really like tries to look out for it. But that was it. It was only mentioned in passing in like two sentences. Interesting. I think it was mentioned either last chapter or the chapter before. See, said Hook, in answer to Smee's question, that is a mother. What a lesson. The nest must have fallen into the water. But would the mother desert her eggs? No. (laughs) There was a break in his voice, as if for a moment he recalled innocent days when, but he brushed away this weakness with his hook. Smee, much impressed, gazed at the bird as the nest was borne past, but the more suspicious Starkey said, If she is a mother, perhaps she is hanging about here to help Peter. Hook winced. Aye, he said, that is the fear that haunts me. He was roused from this dejection by Smee's eager voice. Captain, said Smee, Could we not kidnap these boys' mother and make her our mother? It is a princely scheme, cried Hook, and at once it took practical shape in his great brain. We will seize the children and carry them to the boat, and the boys we will make walk the plank, and Wendy shall become our mother. How do they know she's called Wendy? I don't know. Because Hook and that lot, I've never met her. So I don't understand how they know what her name is. I think they have a newspaper on the island. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) The Neverland Herald. (laughs) Again, Wendy forgot herself. Never, she cried and bobbed. What was that? But they could see nothing. They thought it must have been a leaf in the wind. Do you agree, my bullies? asked Hook. There is my hand written on it, they both said. And there is my hook, swear. They all swore. By this time they were on the rock and suddenly Hook remembered Tiger Lily. Where is the red skin? He demanded abruptly. He had a playful humour at moments and they thought that this was one of the moments. That is all right, Captain, Smee answered complacently. We let her go. Let her go! cried Hook. "'Twas your own orders,' the bosun faltered. "'You called over the water to us to let her go,' said Starkey. "'Brimstone and gall,' thundered Hook. "'What cozening, cheating is going on here?' His face had gone black with rage, but he saw that they believed their words, and he was startled. "'Lads!' he said, shaking a little. I give no such order. It was passing queer, Smee said, and they all fidgeted uncomfortably. Hook raised his voice, but there was a quiver in it. Spirit that haunts me in this dark lagoon tonight, he cried. Dost hear me? Of course, Peter should have kept quiet, But of course he did not. He immediately (laughs) answered in Hook's voice. Odds, bobs, hammer and tongs, I hear you. 
In that supreme moment, Hook did not blanch, even at the gills, but Smee and Starkey clung to each other in terror. Who are you, stranger? Speak, Hook demanded. I am James Hook, replied the voice. Captain of the Jolly Roger. You are not. You are not. Hook cried hoarsely. Brimstone and gall, the voice retorted. Say that again and I'll cast anchor in you. Hook tried a more ingratiating manner. If you are Hook, he said, almost humbly. Come, tell me, who am I? A codfish. (laughs) That's what I thought. Only a codfish. The classic, the classic insult of all insults. A codfish, Hook echoed blankly. And it was then, but not till then, that his proud spirit broke. He saw his men draw back from him. We've been captured all this time by a codfish, they muttered. It is lowering our pride. <laughs> did, did, did you take his word for it? Like, <laughs> also, yeah. That really is the, the king of it all. It must himself. be true then. <laughs> <laughs> a weird voice said it. <laughs> they were his dogs snapping at him, but tragic figure though he had become, he scarcely needed them. Against such fearful evidence... It was not their belief in him that he needed. It was his own. He felt his ego slipping from him. Don't desert me, bully, he whispered hoarsely to it. In his dark nature, there was a touch of the feminine, as in all great pirates. <laughs> and it sometimes gave him intuitions. There we all go. the best pirates nice like camp and effeminate. Yeah. <laughs> Ever so slightly. Suddenly, he tried the guessing game. Hook, he called. Have you another voice? Now Peter could never resist a game, and he answered blithely in his own voice. I have! And another name. I! I! Vegetable? asked Hook. No. What? Mineral? No. Animal? Yes. Man? No! This answer rang out scornfully. Boy. Yes. Ordinary boy. No. Wonderful boy. To Wendy's pain, the answer that rang out this time was, Yes. Are you in England? No. Are you here? Yes. Waste of a question. <laughs> no, I'm a z- waste of a question. The first question was, "Are you a vegetable?" <laughs> uh huh. Hook was completely puzzled. You ask him some questions, he said to the others, wiping his damp brow. Smee reflected. I can't think of a thing, he said regretfully. Can't guess. Can't guess. Crowed Peter. Do you give up? Of course, in his pride, he was carrying the game too far, and the miscreants, villains, saw their chance. Yes, yes, they answered eagerly. Well then, he cried, I am Peter Pan. Pan. In a moment, Hook was himself again, and Smee and Starkey were his faithful henchmen. Now we have him, Hook shouted. 
Into the waters, me. Starkey, mind a boot. Take him dead or alive. He leapt as he spoke, and simultaneously came the gay voice of Peter. Are you ready, boys? <laughs> that could not have that been was such an timing. unfortunate line. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready, boys? I remember getting an illustration of like just Peter Pan looking like like a teasy like look over the shoulder, and then like a glitter. <laughs> Are you ready, boys? And like. It's like a it's like a poster I'd see down like Compton Street or something. Exactly. Like a club night at GAY. <laughs> aye, aye, from various parts of the lagoon. Then lamb into the pirates. The fight was short and sharp. First to draw blood was John, who gallantly climbed into the boat and held Starkey. There was fierce struggle in which the cutlass was torn from the pirate's grasp. He wriggled overboard and John leapt after him. The dinghy drifted away. Here and there a head bobbed up in the water and there was a flash of steel followed by a cry or a whoop. In the confusion, some struck at their own side. The corkscrew of Smee got tootles in the fourth rib and he was himself pinked, nicked in turn by Curly. Farther from the rock, Starkey was pressing slightly and the twins hard. Where all this time was Peter? He was seeking bigger game. The others were all brave boys, and they must not be blamed for backing from the pirate captain. His iron claw made a circle of dead water round him, from which they fled like affrighted fishes. But there was one who did not fear him. There was one prepared to enter that circle. Strangely, it was not in the water that they met. Hook rose to the rock to breathe, and at the same moment Peter scaled it on the opposite side. The rock was slippery as a ball, and they had to crawl rather than climb. Neither knew that the other was coming. Each feeling for a grip meant the other's arm. In surprise, they raised their heads. Their faces were almost touching. So they met. Some of their greatest heroes have confessed that just before they fell too began combat. They had a sinking feeling in the stomach. Had it been so with Peter in that moment, I would admit it. After all, he was the only man that the sea cook had feared. But Peter had no sinking. He had one feeling only. Gladness. And he gnashed his pretty teeth with joy. Quick as thought, he's a psychopath. <laughs> he is. He does have some murderous imagine if, tendencies. Imagine if you were like... Out, out, out with someone, and like their way of being like glad, or instead of going woo, is going <laughs> like that, like some sort of yeah, like, that's very oh, feral, isn't I'd it? I'd leave. Yeah. Quick as thought, he snatched a knife from Hook's belt and was about to drive it home when he saw he was higher up the rock than his foe. It would not have been fighting fair. He gave the pirate a hand to help him up. It was then that Hook bit him. Not the pain of this, but its unfairness was what dazed Peter. It made him quite helpless. He could only stare, horrified. Every child is affected thus the first time he is treated unfairly. All he thinks he has a right to when he comes to you to be yours is fairness. After you have been unfair to him, he will love you again, but will never afterwards be quite the same boy. No one ever gets over the first unfairness. No one except Peter. He often met it, but he always forgot it. I suppose that was the real difference between him and all the rest. 
So when he met it now, it was like the first time. He could just stare, helpless. Twice the iron hand clawed him. A few moments afterwards, the other boys saw Hook in the water, striking wildly for the ship. No elation on the pestilent face now, only white fear, for the crocodile was in dogged pursuit of him. On ordinary occasions, the boys would have swum alongside, cheering, but now they were uneasy, for they had lost both Peter and Wendy, and were scouring the lagoon for them, calling them by name. They found the dinghy and went home in it, shouting, Peter! Wendy! as they went, but no answer came save mocking laughter from the mermaids. They must be swimming back or flying, the boys concluded. They were not very anxious because they had such faith in Peter. They chuckled, boy-like, because they would be late for bed, and it was all Mother Wendy's fault. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course it is, yeah. When their voices died away, there came cold silence over the lagoon, and then a feeble cry. Help! Help! Two small figures were beating against the rock. The girl had fainted and lay on the boy's arm. With a last effort, Peter pulled her up the rock and then lay down beside her. Even as he also fainted, he saw that the water was rising. He knew they would soon be drowned, but he could do no more. As they lay side by side, a mermaid caught Wendy by the feet and began pulling her softly into the water. Peter, feeling her slip from him, woke with a start, but was just in time to draw her back. But he had to tell her the truth. We're on the rock, Wendy, he said. But it's it's growing smaller. Soon the water will be over us. She did not understand even now. We must go, she said almost brightly. Yes he answered faintly. Shall we swim or fly, Peter? He had to tell her. Do you think you could swim or fly as far as the island, Wendy, without my help? She had to admit that she was too tired. He moaned. What is it? She asked, anxious about him at once. I can't help you, Wendy. Hook wounded me. I can neither fly nor swim. What? Do you mean we shall both be drowned? Look how the water is rising. They put their hands over their eyes to shut out the sight. They saw that they would soon be no more. As they sat thus, something brushed against Peter as light as a kiss and stayed there as if saying timidly, Can I be of any use? It was the tail of a kite which Michael had made some days before. It had torn itself out of his hand and floated away. Michael's kite, Peter said, without interest. But next moment he had seized the tail and was pulling the kite toward him. It lifted Michael off the ground, he cried. Why should it not carry you? Both of us. (laughs) Pretty sure that's not how kites work, but never mind. Yeah. (laughs) It can't lift too. Michael and Curly tried. Well, let's draw lots, Wendy said bravely. And you, a lady? Never. Already he had tied the tail around her. She clung to him. She refused to go without him. But with a goodbye, Wendy, 
he pushed her from the rock, and in a few minutes she was born out of his sight. Peter was alone on the lagoon. The rock was very small now. Soon it would be submerged. Pale rays of light tiptoed across the waters, and by and by there was to be heard a sound at once the most musical and the most melancholy in the world, the mermaids calling to the moon. Peter was not quite like other boys, but he was afraid at last. A tremor ran through him, like a shudder passing over the sea. But on the sea one shudder follows another, till there are hundreds of them, and Peter felt just the one. Next moment he was standing erect on the rock again, with that smile on his face and a drum beating within him. It was saying, To die will be an awfully big adventure. End of chapter. That's a famous quote. It is. Is it? Yes. It sounds like something they'd write under a plaque or like, you know, you were saying there's some Peter Pan stuff in Hyde Park. It's the, it's yeah. the type of thing that someone yeah, would put yeah. on like a grave or... It's like, it's the only thing that he has no concept of, I th- in mm. a way. It says here on Lit Chart... Lit Chart! On the end, that Peter's life is an unscrutable series of adventures. He has had so many and for so long, it seems he must be having at least several at a time. His time moves in leaps and jolts, so he has no reason to believe that the adventure of death will be his last. So it's almost like it's just another chapter to him. So Peter might be dead. Yeah. Or dying. I mean, we're hoping that in the next chapter he gets saved. But uh, another, at least there's a cliffhanger from Barry. I We've like been missing it. those for the last couple of chapters. It just it kind was, of fizzled out. Good. And and yeah. really and really nice, sort of a, a nice heroic moment from our hero of mm. him saying, "I'm not going. No, I'm going to no, save no. someone else instead of myself." Exactly. He's like, "No, no, uh, Rose, you will stay on the door, and I will." <laughs> <laughs> Even though there's room for both. Yeah. Even though we could both fit. <laughs> I thought there was some beautiful description in that uh, particular chapter with the lagoon. Like, it was really sort of, I think it's some of the nicest parts of the book so far. It was really yeah. well painted. I was like, I can kind of imagine that. I'm sort of seeing all these. It was nice that there was actually and... some action as well. We finally that we finally had the Lost Boys meeting the pirates. Yeah. Because up till now, we've had each group and they've not met each other. Yeah. It's true. It was, an, it was another one of those chapters that felt like a, a contained short. Like I think you said that mm, a couple yes. weeks ago, David, about them just sort of feeling like they were they were whole. Like you had, you know, a, a, a sort of a beginning, middle, and granted a cliffhanger end, but it sort of had a sense of finality to it. It started off with you know like another jovial day at the rock, and then you had the adventure, and you had a rescue mission, and then a battle, mm-hmm. and it was sort of everything you'd want from a children's story, just in one. In but one then chapter. this is this is a flashback, if you remember. This is Barry saying, these are all the adventures they've had and we're going to go back and tell you one of them. So we kind of, he's already spoiled that Peter Pan must survive because where we left off in the last chapter is in the future of this chapter. So therefore he must still be alive. But there's a couple of concepts in this uh, chapter which are quite interesting. There's one about fairness. I don't know if you noticed that in the fight between Hook and Peter Pan. Oh yeah, Where Peter gives Hook a, a hand up. 
because he noticed that he's higher on the rock than Hook and it gives him an unfair advantage in the fight. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because that's just standard warfare, isn't it? You're like, mm, you know, yeah. You make sure that you're higher than your enemy so that you've got the advantage. And yeah, he's, he's I have the higher ground, Anakin, yeah, or whatever it is. That's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Great reference there, Matt. But J.M. Barry basically is trying to point on the fact that fairness is the child's version of justice which is meant to ensure that all people are treated equally and without undue bias. Peter's preoccupation with fairness means that he is concerned in every encounter to ensure that he and his opponent are equally matched. Yet Peter is quicker than Hook and Hook is less scrupulous. So it is impossible to create equivalence between them. So you may notice there's a lot of times where kids are very, very hot on that's not fair yeah you've treated that person differently from me but they don't seem to recognize that someone else's circumstance might be different from theirs. yeah they don't understand that everybody isn't equal in terms of how they, they need. can function yeah. in their capacities in that maybe that be mentally or physically or anything like that or financially they don't understand that. All they understand is you are treating that person differently from that person and therefore that is unfair and it is, in, it is not right. And that's a very childish way of looking at morality. Whereas a more adult way of morality will look at two people and go, we should distribute this by what is needed rather than by what is equal. Do we think Wendy might display some sort of um, opposition to that perhaps? Because she's got a bit more... I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be a a wider thing to do with Wendy. I think it's just the fact that Barry has just noticed something in terms of how children look at the world, that fairness is something that's very important to them. Yeah, and and Peter Pan is the the ultimate child. But it's something that's quite naive. And I think that's why a lot of times um, socialist parties and things like that can come across quite naive and quite childish. I think that, you know, wanting to make the world a fairer, more equal, more just place is is a very kind of good thing to try and do. But it just shows you that justice in terms of adult justice is very different from fairness. Something can be just, but can also be unfair. That's a, that's a profound statement there. I, I feel like I need to sort of sit on it for a moment, but that's not interesting to listen to on a podcast. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, say you have two people and you go, oh, I have some money to give, but giving it all to one person because they need it and the other person doesn't is just, it's not fair, but it's just. Two different things. Exactly. And then Captain Hook stitches him up anyway, so he's uh, it's, it's probably his well, weakness. Well, yeah, I mean, Captain Hook just shows his true yeah. colours. Maybe that, that's he? Peter Pan's weakness. I mean, he's... Uh, we think, oh, he, he's you know, he's brave, he's agile, he's strong, he's confident, but this is his major... Maybe his major weakness. Well, his major weakness is that he's a child and children don't know that world, the world isn't yeah. there. Okay, so every aspect of... So, yeah, and he... He is a child and he never learns. And because he is perpetually a child, he never learns that the, the world will be unfair and that you have to prepare for that and you have to be able to deal with that. Um, so that that's something I thought was actually quite profound. And it's something that's hidden kind of in the battle between them, but it's actually quite interesting when you unpack it. So I just that's why I just wanted to highlight that one. Mm. And then there's also a whole theme to do with ego. So see, Hook and Peter are almost like two sides of the same coin. They're very, very alike in a lot of ways and then completely different in another. 
Yeah, their ego definitely seems to be their vice, doesn't it? Yes. That's what gave gave Peter away with the yes. game, you know. But Lichard is kind of saying here that Peter attempts to switch places with Hook the way that the boys switch places with the Indians, but neither Peter nor Hook are really willing to play the game. The little boys lose nothing by being other other people, but Peter and Hook temporarily lose something they both cherish dearly, their egos. Hook does not play the game because loss of ego is too frightening and Peter does not persist because recovery of ego is too appealing. So both of them are egomaniacs and they didn't want to pretend to be the other person because they didn't want to lose their own identity and they enjoy being themselves too much and they think so much of themselves that the idea of someone else pretending to be me and almost taking the mickey out of me, I can't handle that. That's so it, therefore yeah. I must end the game and I must reclaim who I am and reclaim my ego because it will bruise me too much to watch someone else pretend to be Whereas me. Could, like Peter Pan was in, again, he was in the upper hand there. And that was, again, a, a weakness was the ego. He could have actually used that to sneak on board or something. Or but Yeah, but he was too, he was too preoccupied with showing off. Yeah. And admitting, are you the wonderful boy? Yes. Thank you for noticing. His favorite thing, <laughs> thing is saying, I am wonderful. I am Peter Pan. I bet he, he bet he says that every day when he wakes up. He just wakes up. The first thing he says is, yes, I am Peter Pan. And, and I am. Pan. And the other boys are like, are you yeah, ready, yeah. boys? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Peter, you're, you're Peter Pan. Okay, we get it. <laughs> Five. Please don't kill us a five six seven eight <laughs> so i i guess then we have to kind of ask ourselves because we're drawing so many parallels between uh the, the, the those two as individuals the way they run their their regimes and their communities what um i we still like peter i mean i do mm. so you have to we, we have to then think okay well they both have they both have their vices but what is it that makes peter that much more and I think he kind of, and I think this 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 chapter also kind of sums that up because he he's he shows that he's you know brave and that he's uh, shows a sort of a sacrificial love that you that we know that Hook would never show. Yes, yeah. he's the kind of guy who who would completely. Uh, oh, if it was between Hook and Smee and one raft, you know who'd be on the raft. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it just kind of begins to uh, sum up what we what we value about you know good good versus good versus bad and and that that sort of moral battle that even though mm. two people can share some very similar traits there are there are there are others that that that, that set them apart and make one uh, the hero and one the villain. But then I also wonder if this is not just a thing of perspective the fact that we're being told the story from peter pan and the children's perspective rather than hook's perspective means that you immediately identify with him and root for him because he's the person and hook is presented as the enemy it's almost like that whole thing when you go and see wicked the musical yeah and having seen wizard of oz you are rooting for dorothy the whole way and then when it flips it on its head and you see it from the other person's perspective you go oh actually this is this is actually a real human being with wants with dreams with aims with objectives with loyalties with friends with family with feelings and it makes them a lot more three-dimensional and then you suddenly find yourself finding it very difficult to root against them and who you perceive as the baddie in that whole story completely shifts and so I do wonder, I, d I wouldn't say that I, I'm rooting for Peter because any of his 
qualities are stand out as being good or righteous or morally correct do you know what i mean it's you root i root for him because he is the protagonist he's the name on the front cover and he's the person who i've been told this story from whose perspective i've been told this story from and who i've been told to root for essentially by the author Hmm. so i don't know i want i do wonder i wouldn't say there's nothing apart from him giving wendy the kite there's not really a lot that's about him that I go, oh yeah, he's a hero. Do you know what I mean? And that's not to say that Hook is like not bad. I just mean that there's not that kind of massive Captain America morally infallible. There's this that that doesn't embody yeah, he's, Peter he's, Pan doesn't he's embody. He's driven that. by he's he's actually driven by his whims. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's it's seldom yeah. to do with or oh, I need he's I, driven by I, I need to make the head. island a better place today. Or, or no, exactly. Or I brought back some presents for the lost boys. He doesn't actually like. At no point is he probably ever thinking about them, and he's he probably doesn't really care about them individually. Um, no, he's like, oh look, here comes Hook. How can I screw with him? Yeah, today? basically, <laughs> another day at the office. That's his job. Yeah, yeah. How can I irritate him? <laughs> I'd love it if I'd love it if Peter Pound didn't actually like getting sword fights. He was just like like wound him up like prank phone calls. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's an order. He's, he's just just like ordering a pizza. Clocks up to the phone. He's just ordering a pizza, yeah. and he has to pay for it. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? He's been waiting to use that, hasn't he? It's a good one. This week's terrible. So, Josh, tell us where's this story going next week? Then, are we going to jump back into the future and kind of continue from chapter seven, or are we going to find out how Peter Pan gets off this rock? What What's the chap? What's the chapter I mean, title? The, the chapter title's not giving much away, as usual. Oh, as usual, okay. But chapter nine is called the Neverbird. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Is the Neverbird. So that random bird that you all forgot about that's just floating in the middle of the lagoon so at the Peter moment. Peter Pan yeah, apparently it's quite important. some sort of airborne transportation. Is this going to be like a Frodo the Eagle yeah. situation? Yeah, maybe. I th- I think what he does is he, he goes and sits in the nest and uses the bird's bill to paddle himself to yeah, shore. He's, he's, he's not going to do the easy option. <laughs> he used the bird to call out to Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing the Neverbird helps Peter in some way to get back to the mainland. That's probably where we're going next. Because it does say in the in the flying chapter that Peter Pan was very light because he could ride oh, the winds. Yeah. So maybe a bird could and carry imaginary him. Food. If he was that light, he could have hopped on the back of the kite with Wendy. It's true. It was too Wendy. Whee! <laughs> That's too... <laughs> <laughs> amazing right so if you have any insights or comments on this chapter you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com you can follow us and write to us on twitter we're at lazybookclubpod and it's exactly the same on instagram at lazybookclubpod see you guys next week for chapter 9 the neverbird ta-ra